Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He laid there in the dust for a few minutes after the last rock went whizzing by his head. And he, he, he felt the blood in his mouth. He tasted it. He could feel that wet heat streaming from his forehead. He's pretty sure his leg was broken. He was convinced that he may not get out of this one. But miraculously, he popped up. He dusted himself off. And to everybody's surprise, probably even including his, but to everybody's surprise, he walked right back into the town that had just drug him out and stoned him. Not to apologize. Not to say, boy, I was wrong. Thanks for that lesson. Not to with his tail between his legs, not having learned anything other than, I know how much I must suffer for the name of Christ. And he walked back into town and he continued on his mission. And this is a man who already had scars. Scars from beatings where he had received the lashes. This is a man who had... Other scars, mental scars, emotional scars from being shipwrecked. This is a man who had been bitten by an asp. The people thought he'd lay down dead. This man had been cold and naked. And for what? For what had he gone through all of these trials for? What would compel this man to continue to go and experience a good beating? What would compel this man to continue to go town to town? And the first stop would be the synagogue, and the last stop would be the jail. And somewhere in between, there'd be a good beating. Why would somebody do such a thing? Perhaps it's because the American dream hadn't been invented yet. There was no ideal life of a a wife, a couple kids, a house, a car, a middle-class job, a 401k, retirement and a gold watch when you're 65. Uh, Perhaps it was because he had all along seen the hardships and difficulty of life. But what would drive a man to put his body in mortal danger day after day after day? What could drive him? In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we, we read about this man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we read about his love for the church in Corinth, a group of believers, folks who are trying to follow Jesus, but they're a little dismissive of Paul. Paul, by the way, is the guy who was beaten, who was stoned, who was shipwrecked, 
who is bitten. And here we read a little bit. He, he's boasting, and it's kind of a funny chapter because he's like, I'm out of my mind to boast like this, but I'm going to boast. I'm going to tell you that my suffering demonstrates my legitimacy. My suffering demonstrates my legitimacy, that I am a true apostle, that I am a man on a mission. And listen to this. It's amazing what he says. If I can find my spot here. Verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. (laughs) Could you imagine? Let's have Sunday school today. All right, who, who here is the servant of Christ? Well, I am more. That does sound outside of your mind. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. That sounds fun. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own people, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Why does he do it? Because of his concern for the churches. Because of his mission. Because of his passion for the mission of Christ. The Broncos, they wrapped up the draft this past weekend. Thank God. Because every time I went to Denver since Christmas, since we were knocked out of the, the, the playoffs, 104.3, the fan, which I prefer to listen to when I'm in Denver, that's all they've talked about since the Broncos season ended was free agency and the draft. I was visiting my brother this past week, and I, I'm like, Lee, the Rockies are having meaningful baseball games right now. They're in first place in the West when we were talking. I think they still might be. They got throttled by the Nationals that night, though, as we watched the game. But I'm like, Lee, they act like there's not even a baseball team in town. All they talk about is the Broncos. Now, I grew up in Denver. I get it. I love the Broncos. But come on. Talking ad nauseum about what might happen, about who they might draft, And then when they drafted, when they picked their picks, when they made their decisions, the talk, the backlash, on and on and on and on, the discussion goes. And I'm like, this is what consuming passion looks like in our day and age. This is what consuming passion looks like in our day and age. We talk about it. We put it on the radio. We have it on television. Did anybody watch the NFL draft? Wow, they've made the draft something to watch. It's like the NFL soap opera. It's amazing. 
And one of the things that I want to talk about, because we've been doing this series on the kingdom, and this is, again, part of the so what. This is the last sermon in this, unless uh, Jesus says otherwise. But I shouldn't blame him for that, should I? (laughs) This one has to do with mission. This one has to do with, okay, we know that heaven, if you could put those slides on the screen for me, uh, Ben, we know that heaven and earth are supposed to overlap. We know that heaven and earth are, are meant to be together. But we also know that they're not. And we know that this has happened because of idolatry. We know this because we have worshipped other gods. In fact, if you read the book of Deuteronomy, and I did this this past week, if you read the book of Deuteronomy and you highlight every single time that God says, don't worship other gods, don't follow like the nations that you are driving out, don't follow their gods, don't do what they do, follow me, follow me. If you read that, and you highlight, underline, circle, every time God says that, all the other weird laws, like don't, don't boil a, a baby goat in its mother's milk, like really weird laws, those disappear. And you realize the big issue is idolatry. Which God will you follow? Which God will you serve? In the end of Deuteronomy, it ends with the curses and the blessings. And the curse is, if you don't follow me, then these bad things will happen. And we studied Lamentations, and we saw the bad things that happened to them. And if you do follow me, these are the blessings that will happen, and these are the good things that will happen to you. If you follow me or don't follow me. And then it says, today, choose whom you will serve. And that's the thrust. That's the whole point of the book of Deuteronomy. Who are you going to serve? Israel, you have a choice. And we know that They didn't do it. They followed other gods. We've been calling them Mammon and Aphrodite and Mars, and that's kind of shorthand for power, sex, and money. And by the way, there's plenty of others. There's all kinds of equal opportunity gods out there to serve. There's all sorts of ways to be an idolater. There's all sorts of ways to follow gods that aren't God, aren't Yahweh, aren't the Lord. Now, Israel, they were supposed to follow this God, and they, they messed it up. They commit idolatry. And at first, the ten tribes in the north are scattered. They're just dispersed. And then the southern kingdom falls, and those two tribes are taken into captivity, at least some, not all. And over the course of time, Jews end up all over the known world, all over the nations, Away from Israel, because Israel got thumped, was destroyed, overrun, and ruled by other powers, other nations. And so we're, we're stuck with this, and it, we come to Jesus Christ. I think that's the next one. And Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. We know all about that. He offers us forgiveness by placing our faith in him. But more than that, he has triumphed over the powers. He's triumphed over these these principalities and powers that we worship and give authority and rulership in our lives and in this world to. Time and time again, Acts chapter 17, time and time again, Paul links the death of Jesus with the defeat of the principalities and powers. It's all over the scriptures. If you want to read a little bit more on that, you can read N.T. Wright's great book, The Day the Revolution Began. 
And Paul just is adamant that these things have been defeated. And so there's a victory that needs to now be implemented. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, but I always wrestle with the words victorious Christian living. Because I don't always feel like I'm living very victoriously Christianly. How about you? And sometimes the people that use those words, uh, I'm frustrated with them. Because there's times I feel, are you real? Sometimes I feel like, I don't know if you're real or you're fake. Because they never seem to have problems. And when they do have problems, because sometimes I know they have problems, they don't act like they have problems. And I'm like, okay, is that the joy of the Lord or is that denial? Is that not dealing with life? You see, Paul went on a litany there on his problems, didn't he? Was that victorious Christian living? (laughs) How many victorious Christians would be like, well, I was beaten five times by given lashes. Three times I was beaten by rods. Once I was stoned to death, nearly. That doesn't sound like victorious Christian living. That sounds like getting the living tar beaten out of you multiple times. That's what Paul says. Jesus, by the way, got the living daylights beaten out of him. He actually died. Died. Dead. And that's how the powers are defeated. If we go to the next one, when he rose again from the dead, death was defeated. That's when the tables turn. That's when this all turns and it changes. Now, we talked about how many of us aren't living this way. Many of us have the right king, but the wrong kingdom. We're all about that king trying to build our kingdom, and we live with frustration. We also talked about how a lot of us, we don't live triumphantly, and part of that is because we still see ourselves as slaves to the powers. There's no escaping mammon. There's no escaping Aphrodite. There's no escaping Mars. That's how a lot of us feel. You're telling me not to lust. You're telling me not to do that. You're telling me not to... That's really difficult. And what I'm saying is every time you are tempted to sin, you are deciding who to follow. Every time you're tempted to sin, you're deciding who to follow. And on the dark side of that, you can either give up your authority and your position and your power to the powers and principalities who've already been defeated. As Paul said, are you going to go back and, and, and live under slavery? like we looked at last week in Galatians. Or, positively, you can choose Christ. You know what? I'm really tempted right now. You know what? This is difficult. You know what? I'm not going to lie. I am having a hard time making the right choice, but I am going to choose Christ. Paul goes on in Galatians, and he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And we talked about this in our high school group, and I should have those kids come up and talk about this. But we talked about this, where Paul lists what the, the works of the flesh are. And it's an ugly, hideous, nasty list. I mean, he just goes on and on and on. Lust, greed, blah, blah, blah. And you, you read that, and you're like, I got to take a shower. My gosh, that's an ugly list. And then right after that, he starts talking about the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. He gives us this 
awesome list that you're like, oh man, I like that list. I feel so much better after I read that list. And then he says, you can't legislate these things. You can't make people do this. You can't pass a law where everybody's like, you're going to love each other. (laughs) You can't pass a law where I don't care if there's 20 people in line before you at Dollar General, you're going to be patient. You can't pass rules. I don't care if he took your toy, kid. In kindergarten, we're kind. Right? Can't pass rules. Can't pass laws. But he says, do you want to have this fruit in your life? Then keep in step with the Spirit. Isn't that a great picture? Isn't that a great metaphor? I was in marching band. Maybe it's a better metaphor for geeks like me who are in marching band. But when he says, keep in step with the Spirit, it's like the the Holy Spirit is the, what do they call those things? The guy leading the march. (laughs) There's a name for that. I can't remember what it is. The Holy Spirit. And our job is to keep in step with the Spirit. And when we sin, we're out of step. When we sin, we've decided, forget this parade. I've got a more fun parade. I'm going to go do my own parade. And Paul says, if you want the fruit in the Spirit to exist in your life, because it's the fruit of the, not the fruit of trying harder, not the fruit of pass the law, have to do it, not the fruit of my wife keeps nudging me in the ribs, I better figure this out. This is the fruit of the, You didn't say it like you believe it. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The only way you can have this fruit is if you keep in step with the Spirit. That's what Paul says. Keep in step with it, you'll have this fruit. Every single time you go out of step, don't be shocked if you're not loving, kind, gentle, faithful, self-controlled. Don't be surprised. If you get out of step with the Spirit, bam, you're on that other nasty list. It's so simple, isn't it? And yet so stinking hard, right? It's so simple, yet so hard. Boy, that was free. I wasn't even going to talk about that. So Christ has defeated death. And so much of the time we live in this place where we struggle with being victorious. We struggle with realizing that Christ has died. This is not your only life. It's like that old Negro, Negro spiritual where they would say, thank God, this, we will not always live here. Now, if you struggle with those words, you're like, but I kind of like it here, and I've got a lot of things going on, and I'm really hoping that blah, blah, blah. You might have too many attachments to here. I can see why a, a Negro slave in the deep south would sing, thank God, we're not always going to live here. I could see why somebody who is just diagnosed with cancer would say, thank God, we're not always going to live here. I could see why somebody who just got a a note in the mail saying that their spouse wants a divorce could say, thank God, we're not always going to live here. I could see why a person whose kid does not come home 
night after night after night, but is off as a prodigal, and they don't know what they're doing, and they don't know what they're into, and they don't know who they're hanging out with. And I can see why that person would say, thank God we're not always going to live here. I could see why a drug addict, an alcoholic, somebody who struggles to kick an addiction, I could see why so many people would say, thank God we won't always live here. That's what that says. That Christ beat death. And right now, if you follow Christ, this is the closest you'll ever be to hell. This is the worst it's going to be. I mean, it could get a little worse, right? Right now, you're warm and comfortable and nodding off during church. (laughs) Dreaming about barbecue or whatever it is you're going to eat at lunch. It could get worse. It most likely will get worse. But even when it gets worse, this is the closest. And the furthest from heaven you'll be. The furthest from God's presence you'll be. Now, how do we help others with this? <laughs> we, we've learned about how to help ourselves. Keep in step with the Spirit. You know, I could, that could be my counseling motto when people come and talk to me. Well, just keep in step, step with the Spirit. Next. <laughs> keep in step with the Spirit. Well, it's not that easy. Duh. I know. I've got a myriad of examples of how it's not easy. But how do we help others? I mean, if this is true, that the the powers have been defeated, if this isn't the only life, isn't that good news? And isn't that information that others need to hear? Now, if you haven't grown up in church world or church world is new to you and you're like, I don't, know the, I don't understand why Christians are always pushing their views and religion on us, this is why. <laughs> because we believe that there's a new sheriff in town. We believe that there's a new king. We believe that the most powerful power in the world is self-sacrificial love. We believe that. So the Apostle Paul believed. And we believe that others need to understand this. We believe that we need to give it to others. There's a passage in Acts chapter 2. When it was the day of Pentecost. And most of the time we, we missed out on what's going on here. Because we all get sidelined with the supernatural piece that goes on here. But I just want to read uh, this chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost came, and this was just a Jewish religious festival, they were all together in one place. The disciples and the followers, like 70 folks or so that followed Jesus, were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. (laughs) See why we get a little distracted? Whoa, how did that work? I want to get the film strip of that. I want to watch that when I get to heaven. I hope heaven has like a Bible Netflix. Wouldn't that be cool? Actually, it'll be streaming. It'll be better. Okay, so then you don't have to stand in line when it's cold watching somebody else get the movie you wanted. That's never happened to me. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is what the church gets all bogged down and we argue and fuss and fight over is this kind of stuff here. But keep reading. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from where? Every nation under heaven. Remember how I said that they had been scattered around to all the nations? 
hmm, could that have been like a plan? Like God knew these boneheads are going to be unfaithful. These yahoos are going to be idolatrous. And I'm going to scatter them all over the world. Why would he do that? If we keep reading, maybe we will learn. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. They had been out of country so long. Their great, 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 great grandparents were immigrants to Rome, to Crete, to Persia, to wherever, because they fled, because they were refugees, because their nation was under assault, and they fled, and they had assimilated. They had learned the language. They had learned the culture. They still knew ethically, ethnically they were Jews. But they had learned other languages. But they still are on in Jerusalem on Pentecost. They're still religiously Jewish people. They made the trip. It says, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? (laughs) Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. Aren't these fun words to say? Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? We get all arguing and fussing about the gift of tongues. And we don't keep reading what God's doing. God, it was his idea to have sleeper cells. It was his idea to have terrorist sleeper cells. I know that's a weird analogy, but when you see the next slide, Ben, go back to the pictures for us. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what's supposed to happen. Where every one of those Jewish, God-fearing people is. They're supposed to hear this. In fact, when you skip back down to Acts chapter 2, verses 40 and 41, you read this. With many other words, Peter gets up and he speaks. He sees an opportunity to preach a sermon. He must have been a preacher. With many, kind of like Daniel this morning. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Where did those people go after Pentecost ended? They went home. And what had happened to them in Jerusalem? They found a new king. They found that heaven was breaking in on earth and they went back to all those places. I'm going to say Pamphylia because that's a fun one to say. And Phrygia. They went back to those places. They went back to Crete. They went back to Rome. They went back to all of these nations and they took with them the new king. The gospel. Well, they hadn't gone to Bible college. 
They hadn't even sat in Sunday school. It must have failed miserably. What a bad plan. They're just totally inadequately equipped. They didn't even have the benefit of the doctrine of the church, for goodness sakes. I mean, what are they going to do? Nice try, God. Once again, (laughs) expecting an awful lot. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that God is so willing to risk with a sorry lot like us? Isn't that amazing that God is willing to put the whole endeavor into our hands and to say, hey, you can be a part of this. You can go back to Phrygia and Pamphylia. You can go back to Crete and Rome. You can go back to Yuma County. You can go to Ray. You can go all over the world with this good news that the powers are defeated and you have met the one true king. Wow. You see, I don't place hope in this world in the government. I don't place hope in this world in any institution. The only thing I place hope in this world in is followers of Jesus. And them following Jesus. And them loving others. And them being self-sacrificing. And them going through the world and having an impact as they do that little picture with the bubbles and the polka dots. And the world is changing. And heaven is breaking in. So the question obviously is this. Are you in? Are you in the game? Are you playing a role? Do you understand the stakes? Do you understand that you and I have the opportunity to play a role in a cosmic battle of good and evil? It's like Marvel Comics. We live it every day. Now, I don't have many superpowers, but I do have a few. They're called gifts of the Spirit. And you have a handful of superpowers too. They're called gifts of the Spirit. Are you exercising them? Are you using them? Do you know what they are? Have you ever thought about that? That I have the Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living in me. And I'm now this like hybrid being. And if I keep in step with the Spirit and I allow the Holy Spirit to work in me and through me, the world can change. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I feel pretty excited. I don't know about you. We got to wrap it up because some of you look like you're about to nap. So. Ben, go to uh, the, the quotes for me, if you would. Poor Ben, I'm all over the map. You see, I love these quotes that N.T. Wright wrote. One of the things that happens with this Christian thing is we're tempted to make it about us. Once we find out our superpowers, once we learn that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives. And then we're like, oh, yes, he has a wonderful plan for my life. And I'm going to help him with this wonderful plan for my life. 
Because God might have a wonderful plan, but I've got a fantastic plan for my life. And there's this passage in Scripture that I I want you to, to meditate on this week. It's Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says this. Some of you have it memorized. But seek first his kingdom. Now, Jesus, in my opinion, should have ended it after the next three words, and his righteousness. He should have ended it there. Because it would have had far more impact on us. If he had just ended it there. But for some reason, in Jesus' fashion, he felt like he had to dangle a carrot out in front of all of us so that we would do this. He goes on and he says, and all these other things will be added unto you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm just going to be honest. When I read that verse, what part of the verse am I focusing on? All the other things. All the other things. Wait a minute, so if I seek God's kingdom first, what does that mean exactly? Like work at a church? I'm doing that. That's like seeking his kingdom. Like showing up to church on Sundays? Yeah, I'm doing that. That's like seeking his kingdom on first. Like giving some money? Like tipping God? Yeah, I'm doing that. That's like seeking the kingdom first. Like putting up with a preacher who's always in my face? Yeah, I'm kind of like seeking God's kingdom. What does it mean to seek God's kingdom first? It probably means not doing it so you get the other things. Because then you're seeking the other things first, right? See how that works? And this is what N.T. Wright's uh, quote says. He says, We are always tempted to turn the kingdom of God into the instrument of our own worldly success or comfort. Because Jesus gave us that little carrot. But remember how this all started? With Paul dusting himself off after a good stoning and reading what he did and where he went. And he said, I'm always in danger. Why was he always in danger? Because he had the guts, he had the resolve, he had the passion, he had the drive to put. God's kingdom first. For a powerful ending, I thought about showing that video of the martyrs in Libya who were killed by ISIS. But I thought, wow, it was painful the first time I watched it and I didn't feel like putting us all through that. And Reese told me more of that story. I didn't realize and I read it this week online I found the story there was a young man there was 21 martyrs that day and 20 of them were Coptic Christians from Egypt and the last man that was killed he was from Ghana and the interesting thing about him he did not follow Christ until (laughs) until those other 20 men were killed And they asked him, you're going to renounce this God? Do you follow this God? And he says, he said, after watching their self-sacrifice, after watching, he didn't say this, but we know this, right? 
he said to, the, to ISIS, we know what he said. He said, their God is my God. Their God is my God. Because he saw what they were willing to sacrifice. For the first time, perhaps in his life, he saw somebody who said, thank God we won't always live here. Are you attached? Are you too attached to this present evil age? Are you too attached, like Peter said, you need to save yourself from this corrupt generation? Are you too attached? Do you have too much on the line to lose? If God were to ask you to do something, small or large, could you? Do you even believe he talks? Do you even believe he would ask of you something? Do you believe you have supernatural abilities that he's given you? You see, the church, in my opinion, and I think I've got a lot of good research on my side, would say that the American church is anemic because it is too attached to this world. Heavenly Father, May we find our strength in the reality that this world is not our home. Help us to understand that this life isn't all that there is. Help us to understand that we have an amazing opportunity to use this life to sock away treasures that will never disappear, that will never be taken from us. And the ultimate treasure is you. Father, I pray that each of us would look at Paul and what he was willing to do for your namesake. And it would challenge us. It would challenge us to keep in step with the Spirit, regardless the price, regardless the cost, regardless the challenge. Holy Spirit, make it so. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and be gracious to you. May you seek first the kingdom. Amen.